This is episode 172 of That Shakespeare Life. Our show this week is brought to you in part by our members here at That Shakespeare Life. Membership gives you unlimited access to our video streaming library full of documentaries, animated plays, virtual tours, and more. Sign up today at castycash.com slash member and stay tuned after the episode for even more details. Hi, I'm Philippa Lacey Brule of British History Tours. Another great method for studying the life of William Shakespeare includes listening to this. It's That Shakespeare Life with my friend Cassidy Cash. While treating Walsingham, the founder of the Elizabethan spy network, Lopez entered his service, passing information between England and the continent. And this served as a source of income for Lopez, in addition to what he earned as a physician and merchant. Welcome to That Shakespeare Life with Cassidy Cash. Cassidy believes that if you desire to successfully learn or perform Shakespeare's plays, then understanding the real life and history of William Shakespeare himself is a must. That Shakespeare Life is the podcast that helps you go beyond the curtain of some of Shakespeare's most iconic works and explore the world of early modern England as Shakespeare would have lived it, learning from the writers, historians, and performers who know it best. And now, here's Cassidy. Born in Portugal, Dr. Rodrigo Lopez fled to England in the 16th century as a Jewish refugee. His family was Jewish, forced to convert to Catholicism, and when he arrived in England, he joined the Church of England to become Protestant while still practicing Jewish rituals at home. Serving at St. Bartholomew's Hospital in 1576, Lopez rose through the ranks as a doctor until he was the chief physician there. He served as doctor to some of England's most notable dignitaries, including Sir Francis Walsingham, Robert Dudley, the Earl of Leicester, Robert Devereux, the Earl of Essex, and even the Queen Elizabeth herself. These highly prestigious professional connections were a boon for Dr. Lopez's medical career, but the danger of these connections led to Dr. Lopez being entangled with spies and ultimately to his execution on grounds of plotting an assassination against Queen Elizabeth. The scandal of Dr. Lopez's trial in 1594 happened while Shakespeare was in London, and the cultural anti-Semitism of 16th century England that played a role in Lopez's conviction is echoed in some of the references to Jews we find in Shakespeare's plays. Here today to tell us the story of Rodrigo Lopez and his part in the life of William Shakespeare is our guest, Susan Abernathy. Susan Abernathy has a degree in history and is a member of the Rocky Mountain Medieval and Renaissance Association. Her blog, The Freelance History Writer, has been continuously publishing historical articles since 2012 with an emphasis on European, Tudor, Medieval, Renaissance, Early Modern, and Women's History. Her latest novel, A Biography of a Prominent Stuart Royal, is currently in production. Hello, Susan. Welcome back to the show. So nice to have you with us. Hi, Cassidy. Glad to be back. As an immigrant from Portugal, did Rodrigo Lopez have to pass any specific licensing requirements to be able to practice medicine in 16th century England? Well, Lopez was highly educated, having studied medicine at the University of Coimbra, and he graduated in 1544. When he fled to England, the rules of admitting physicians to medical practice This required that all, except for graduates of Oxford and Cambridge, had to pass an assessment by an examining committee. 
And we don't have a record of the confirmation of this assessment, but presumably Lopez managed to pass the licensing requirements. Um, His appointment dates from 1567 when he was admitted as the first regular physician to practice at St. Bartholomew's Hospital in London, and he would subsequently become a fellow of the Royal College of Physicians. The Queen had a household staff of at least 15 physicians, and that seemed like a lot of physicians in the first place, but it also seemed to suggest she had a lot of options. So how and why did she choose to add Rodrigo Lopez specifically to her staff? Lopez quickly gained a reputation as a brilliant doctor practicing in the Galenic tradition. And one of his colleagues at the hospital noted that Lopez was skillful and careful in his work in treating gunshot wounds. And he became known for his diet recommendations and his use of purges and bleeding. Another contemporary wrote that Lopez was one of the most learned and expert physicians at court. His skill and reputation brought him to the attention of important nobles, such as the Earl of Leicester, Sir Francis Walsingham, William Cecil, and eventually Robert Devereux, Earl of Essex, and the Queen. Lopez developed a recipe for a concoction he called Arceus Opazima, which may have included anise and sumac berries, although the recipe is no longer known. Anise seeds are often prescribed as an aromatic tea and recognized for their calming effect in respiratory ailments, as well as their potent anti-colic effect on intestinal disorders and for symptoms of dysmenorrhea. Even today, anise is recognized for its beneficial effects as an antioxidant and for its analgesic and anticonvulsant properties. Sumac was used for cooking and in berry lemonade and helped with digestive ailments. Three years after Lopez entered the Queen's service, she granted him a monopoly for importing sumac and anise to England. When did Dr. Lopez go from being on her staff to actually becoming the chief physician for Elizabeth I? After the death of Elizabeth's physician, Julio Borgarici, Lopez was named physician-in-chief to Queen Elizabeth in 1581. Dr. Lopez treated Sir Francis Walsingham and was an immigrant from Portugal during a time when Spain was invading Portugal and England was enemies with Spain. Did Dr. Lopez's position in the Queen's household put him in a position to serve as an intelligence agent for Queen Elizabeth during these conflicts? There were many merchants in the Portuguese new Christian community in England, which allowed them to have numerous contacts around the world. The Portuguese immigrants, including Dr. Lopez, had family in Antwerp, Amsterdam, and other parts of the Spanish Netherlands. So this was an open network, not just for goods, but also for information. So while treating Walsingham, the founder of the Elizabethan spy network, Lopez entered his service, passing information between England and the continent. And this served as a source of income for Lopez, in addition to what he earned as a physician and merchant. Portuguese agents consistently lodged in Lopez's London home. And during the Portuguese succession crisis from 1578 to 1580, the two main candidates for the throne were the King Philip II of Spain and the bastard grandson of King Manuel I, 
Antonio, prior of Crato. Philip II won the battle, but there were many Portuguese who wanted Antonio to be king. And Dr. Lopez grew up in Crato and knew Antonio very well and supported his bid to unseat Philip II for the Portuguese throne. In fact, he even went so far as to join an unsuccessful invasion force led by Sir Francis Drake from England with the mission of placing Antonio on the throne. What happened to eventually cause a falling out between Dr. Lopez and the Earl of Essex? Well, as you mentioned, England and Spain were at loggerheads for the majority of the Queen's reign. And after the death of Sir Francis Walsingham, Lopez nurtured a plan to broker a peace deal with Spain. And he was sponsored and encouraged in this plan by Lord Burley and his son, Robert Cecil. Lopez also passed along information to Essex's own spy network. Some of Lopez's associates were working on a plan to assassinate King Philip II's disgraced secretary, Antonio Perez, who was living in England as an honored guest of the Queen at the time. Lopez was not a part of this planned murder, and he knew none of the details, but unfortunately, he had a connection with these plotters. And the Earl of Essex was engaged in a political struggle with the Cecils, and he was working hard to gain the upper hand in influencing the Queen. He did everything in his power to subvert any peace agreement with Spain, and Lopez knew that he had to neutralize Essex's impact on his own dealings. So one night, Lopez joined the merrymaking of Don Antonio, prior of Crato, and Antonio Perez in Eaton. And during the party, he discussed intimate details of Essex's health. It's unclear exactly what he told them, but most likely Lopez had treated the Earl for a sexually transmitted disease, something very shameful to an Elizabethan. And Antonio and Perez immediately informed Essex of Lopez's indiscretion. And the Earl knew Lopez was advancing the Cecil's foreign policy and playing him for a fool. So Essex sought revenge against the doctor. Essex would go on to accuse Lopez of being a double agent against Elizabeth. Susan, did Essex have Dr. Lopez imprisoned? Well, Essex certainly started the ball rolling on the examination of Dr. Lopez and his network of spies. Some of the doctor's associates were detained tortured or threatened with torture, and in the process revealed the plan to assassinate Antonio Perez. And this is where the plot became very tricky and dangerous to Essex and to Laura Burley and his son, Robert Cecil. They didn't want to have anything to do with the murder of a foreign guest of the Queen. So in order to cover themselves, they invented a story that Dr. Lopez was planning to poison Queen Elizabeth, not kill Perez. And these men doctored the evidence to make Lopez and his associates look guilty of trying to kill the queen. They concocted a conspiracy whereby Lopez would poison the queen with a syrup. And ironically, Queen Elizabeth refused to ingest syrups, and Lopez knew this. The attorney general, Sir Edward Coke, managed the trial and was in on the manipulation of the evidence. They called a special court of Oye and Termine, a commission that was led by a judge of Assize, who would sit and get a conviction as quickly as possible. 
When Dr. Lopez was executed in 1594, what was his official conviction? And did his being a Jew play a role at his trial? Well, during the trial at the Guildhall, Sir Edward Cope made a great deal of Lopez's secret practice of Judaism. All evidence points to an anti-Semitic mindset in the background of the trial, and Lopez and his two associates were found guilty of high treason and sentenced to death. Now, Elizabeth balked at signing off on the death warrant and delayed giving the go-ahead for the execution for three months, but eventually the Cecils and Essex prevailed upon her, and Lopez was subjected to a traitor's death of hanging drawing, and quartering at the age of 77. Because of his attainder, his property was forfeited to the crown. However, the queen allowed Lopez's widow, Sarah, and his family to retain a beneficial lease and all of his assets. And she also subsidized the doctor's son's education at Westminster, Winchester, by giving him a grant of a parsonage. This kind of indicates that maybe Elizabeth felt guilty about Lopez's execution. I know we would love to explore the life of Rodrigo Lopez more. What are some of your favorite books or resources you can recommend we use to learn more? I would recommend uh, Elizabeth, The Forgotten Years by John Guy, The Royal Doctors, 1485 to 1714, Medical Personnel at the Tudor and Stuart Courts by Elizabeth Jane Ferdell, Elizabeth I by Anne Somerset, The Double Life of Dr. Lopez, Spies, Shakespeare, and The Plot to Poison Elizabeth I by Dominic Green. And there's also an excellent entry on Rodrigo Lopez in the Oxford Dictionary of National Biography by Edgar Samuel. These are excellent resources. Thank you so much, Susan, for suggesting them. We'll make sure to link to these books in the show notes for today's episode. We also have some links to some companion episodes that can tell you things about the place of Jews in Elizabethan England, so you can understand that part of Dr. Lopez's trial a little further. So make sure you visit those as well. Now, Susan, we ask everyone this next question here at That Shakespeare Life, and that's, what's the one book you would take with you on a deserted island? My friends in England tell me I'm supposed to allow you the complete works of Shakespeare and a copy of the Bible. So your choice would be in addition to those. I recently read Anne Somerset's book, Queen Anne, The Politics of Passion. And I think this would be an excellent book to have on an island because there was so much politics going on during her reign. I think it would give me hours of enjoyment. That sounds like a good selection. I think you'd be well set up with that one. So what's next for you? What are you working on now that you're excited about? I have finished my biography of a prominent Stuart Royal, and I'm looking for a publisher at the moment. Fantastic. I remember the last time you were with us, you were putting that together. So I'm so excited to hear that it has gotten finished and we wish you the best with finding your publisher. Look forward to reading it when it comes out. Thank you so much, Susan Abernathy, for being here and walking us through the history of Dr. Rodrigo Lopez. This is a fun part of Shakespeare's history, and I appreciate you joining us to share it with us. Thank you, Cassidy. 
Don't forget to stop by the show notes for today's episode to leave your thoughts in the comments about what you think on the story of Rodrigo Lopez and to find archival images of some of the key players in Elizabeth's spy network like Walsingham and Essex, along with direct links to the books and resources Susan mentions today that you can use to learn more. Find all these things and even some bonus history content available at castycash.com slash episode 172. That's castycash.com slash EP172. You like the history of William Shakespeare and want to get even closer to the 16th and 17th century he lived in, then consider becoming a member of That Shakespeare Life. Members get unlimited access to our entire video streaming library, including award-winning documentary films, animated plays, virtual tours, and more. You can also download our library of worksheets, lesson plans, and illustrated guides like diagrams, maps, and infographics that make understanding the history of William Shakespeare easy to see in vibrant, full color and all printable from our exclusive resource library. Explore all the benefits of becoming a member and sign up today at CassidyCash.com slash member. That's CassidyCash.com slash member. I'll see you inside. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. I'm Cassidy Cash, and I hope you learn something new about the Bard. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to That Shakespeare Life. As always, the best conversations happen after the episode over at CassidyCash.com. Become a part of a vibrant Shakespeare conversation by adding your voice over at the website. Until next time, remember, when you want to know William Shakespeare, you have to go behind the curtain and into That Shakespeare Life.